it's super important to have uh, a chemistry and uh, I think that you can work together. As I said, you spend so much uh, time with the CEO as a founder that you you need to enjoy it. And uh, I, I, I like to enjoy my work. Uh, every Sunday night when I meet with my friends, I'm saying, oh, it's a Sunday night. Tomorrow is Monday. I'm so excited. And a lot of my friends say, oh, today is Sunday night. I'm so, <laughs> I want that the weekend will con- continue. I said, no, no, I want to go back to work. So I, I think that it's important, uh, not only with the CEO, but uh, with the team. You need to work with people that you enjoy and you have fun with and uh, you are looking forward to meeting with them. Welcome, I'm your host, Dino Cattaneo, and you're listening to Authentic Leadership for Everyday People, the podcast where we investigate the connection between effective leadership and authenticity. If you're looking for inspiration and tips on how to become a better leader by being your true self, you're in the right place. Last week, we talked to Camila Benjamin Fuller about her experience as a Chief Diversity Officer. And among other things, we cover why DEI is a discipline that can prepare people for broader roles within a company. Today, we're tackling a topic that is crucial to the success of many companies when they go from startup to the next phase of growth. It's a question that many founders, and especially technical founders or scientific founders who started CEOs, have to ask themselves. When is the time to bring in a new CEO? How do you find the right CEO? And how do you set up a partnership for success? To help us answer these questions, we have Gil Blander, founder and chief scientific officer of Inside Tracker, and Ronnie Salem, the CEO. Inside Tracker is a company that, by tracking our biomarkers, literally what's inside us, i.e., blood and DNA, uses science and technology to provide personalized solutions on nutrition and exercise that allow people to improve their overall quality of life and their longevity. Gil and Ronnie are in their 10th year working together, so they must have done at least something right. In a very candid conversation, they share the process they went through to find each other and how they built a partnership that is still thriving. And I have to say, I was very lucky about 10 years ago, I was doing some marketing consulting work from the company. And so I saw the beginning of the partnership and on a personal level, it is really great to see them still doing so good together. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, uh, Gil and Ronnie. Uh, It's great to have you here. I was lucky enough to work with you for a brief amount of time. I always enjoyed the working relationship, both with each one of you and as well as the two of you together, you have managed something that is very difficult to do for startups, which is when they get at a certain point of growth for the original founder to bring in an external CEO and then successfully work together for an extended period of time. So I want to start the conversation. If each one of you can introduce uh, yourself, sort of what you're doing right now, and then what's your background. So maybe, um, Gil, do you want to start? Sure. So first, thank you for uh, inviting us, Dino. It's uh, a pleasure to be here and it was uh, a pleasure to working with you in the past. And uh, I remember very vividly the shows that your wife done in uh, Cambridge. And so it was uh, really fun to to work together with you. A bit about uh, myself. I'm a scientist, um, PhD in uh, biology from the Weizmann Institute of Science, a postdoctoral fellowship at MIT. I was and still fascinated by the aging process. I wanted to stop the clock. I wanted to live forever. I wanted to delay the onset of aging-related diseases. And that's why I became a scientist. 
Post MIT, I uh, decided to uh, move to the industry. I tried to start my own company that will uh, deal with, with longevity and try to help people to live better longer. And that's how I came with the idea of InstaTracker together with two other uh, scientists. And the idea of InstaTracker is uh, pretty simple. Let's understand what's happening in your body from the inside, based on blood, based on DNA, based on data from fitness tracker. And based on that, let's give you the best plan that we can in order to allow you to live better longer. Okay, great. Ronnie, what about your background? Yeah, so quick background. I was born in Geneva, Switzerland, grew up in France, went to school and business school there, spent a little bit of time in Asia, came back and started my career with Deloitte in Geneva, Switzerland. And then I had the opportunity to move to the U.S. and move to Boston, which is still, in my opinion, the best place in the world. High quality people, great weather, extremely affordable real estate. So it's a great place to be in. And I started here with Deloitte, but then quickly got the opportunity to work in healthcare IT, which I did for 13 years before uh, meeting Gil and joining Inside Tracker. So I was working in health information technology with what I would call hardcore traditional healthcare. So cardiovascular medicine and really working with people who are already sick. And then working with Inside Tracker really was the opportunity to go and help people before they're broken. So have an impact so that we can help people live healthier longer and avoid disease, stay healthier longer. So not just live a long life, but more healthy years is really what drives me here and drives the company. And I have four children, three daughters, one little boy. And other than that, Gil and I have been working together for over nine years now. That's great. So Gil, um, when you started the company, obviously your main experience has always been as a scientist and as a PhD. What were some of the challenges and, and that you faced in starting a company and translating into a different world? Yeah, it's uh, a lot of challenges, I would say. How to raise money, how to manage people, how to present a business plan, how to to grow. So there are a lot, a lot of uh, challenges that uh, as a scientist, and let's say as someone that is not managing company, you don't see and understand. And uh, you are very lonely in the, in the top. I'm sure that Ronnie can uh, say that. And uh, everyone complaining about you, but you don't have a place to complain to. Uh, so it's a very lonely and tough, I would say. You know, as you were becoming the leader of the company, what were some of the values or some, you know, how you, you started thinking about your leadership and management style? What were some of the key principles that you started to establish as, at the time, the CEO and founder of Inside Tracker? Yeah, so I was really poor. So the only thing that I could uh, provide is the vision and try to paint a bright future because you cannot compensate uh, people with money. So you, you need to give them the attention and the love and the care. But uh, so that's the way that I use it because that's the only way that I could do it. You were CEO of Inside Tracker for. Uh, from the founding until when Ronnie came? How, how long was that stretch? It, it was around four years. And then Ronnie, in the meantime, you mentioned you were working for Deloitte. And as you think about how you think yourself as a CEO, what were some of the key lessons that you brought on from that world? And, and when and how did you start to articulate how you wanted to be as a CEO and as a leader? 
So after Deloitte, I joined a, a health IT company, and I was very fortunate to be around fantastic leaders. The company had been founded by some of the people behind Boston Scientific, and I got exposed at a very young age to incredible leaders, captains of industry who had built incredible companies. And so at a pretty young age, without really realizing it, I got exposed to the importance of vision, mission, values. And very often I was able to get to extremely experienced people to solve problems I was facing or experiencing. And so I was able to get to really understanding the value of mentors and the value of experience and pattern recognitions that come with having a lot of experience. And then also this, I'm going to say, crucial quality and trait of humility, of being able to go to someone to say, hey, I'm facing this situation. What would you do or what have you seen in the past? And I'm going to say that, generally speaking, I see this in most people who are in leadership positions running something, especially something that's difficult, like a startup or a small company. Most people tend to have a pretty heavy dose of humility, even though it may not look like this from the outside. And uh, really get to appreciate and value mentorship and experience and wisdom that you get to receive from other people. And in small companies, very often you get this from your investors, from your board members, from people who can be your advisors. And um, I was fortunate to have a lot of those people when I was young. And it's carried through to today. And then as you get older, you're a little more experienced, you want to pay it forward. And so you want to play the same role for other people, which is extremely rewarding and probably one of the highest form of, of joy, uh, in my opinion, which is to be able to get other people to see and receive the value you received when you were younger that you appreciated so much. And as a little bit like appreciating your parents, which I think for most people, you start to appreciate your parents when you have children yourself. I think it's the same in the business where like you get to really, as you get older, you refine your understanding and understand how stupid you were when you were young and how blind you were to some of the incredible sacrifices that others had to uh, endure for you. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about, you know, as you become a parent, you appreciate how much your parent did for you. I think that you know, my kids are now in their 20s now, and I think that I also started to appreciate how terrible I was to my parents. <laughs> I feel my, the same way. In my teens and my 20s, like, oh, that that's a funny thing. So, Gil, as you, when you started a company, you were the CEO, you were the lead sci scientist in the company. As you were thinking about sort of the growth of the company, how did you prioritize all the different activities and maybe what was important to you personally and what you enjoyed versus things that really needed to happen for the business? Yeah, so I really enjoy uh, science. I'm a scientist, so I know how to do it. Uh, I hope uh, the Tony will agree with me pretty well. So I uh, spent a lot of time on developing the science and uh, try to do the other activity that you, you need to do, but do it uh, to allow me to spend time on science and not spend all the time on uh, fundraising or hiring or uh, developing other uh, activities. Uh, I remember uh, one day I, uh, I met with the chairman of, uh, of our board 
we had a very small board at that time. He told me, okay, we need to decide when is the meeting of, of uh, the board every quarter for the next year. And I thought to myself, I'm not sure that I have money for the next week. Why is he asking me about a meeting in six or 12 months? <laughs> I don't know if we'll be around in six or 12 months. So I was really trying to focus and build what we can. I also, and I think that it was because we haven't had a lot of uh, funds I, uh, from the get-go, everything that we released, we charge money on that, and we charge uh, money in amount that uh, will allow us to make some profit from it. So uh, I think that that's, uh, luckily for us, a, a show to a potential investor that uh, it's a business that can make money. And especially in the uh, days like today, that uh, you can see a lot of uh, companies that basically raise uh, a lot of money and burn it, now suddenly... Uh, uh, trying to change direction and make it uh, more like a real business. So we started as a real business from the beginning. We raised a very little amount of money. We tried to motivate people to do the work uh, and uh, give them some equity if needed. But we try to build it as a real, real business and try not to burn too much money. And I think that we are very fortunate that we've done it, especially today. When you started out, in the role of CEO, were you envisioning a time when the company would be at a point where you could afford to have a CEO and go back to science? Or was that something that happened later on in deciding that maybe you didn't want to be a CEO? How was that process for you? Yeah, so so for me, from the get-go, I wanted to have a CEO. I, I, I don't have a business uh, a school degree. I'm not an MBA. I don't have an aspiration, maybe in the next company, but currently I don't have an aspiration to be a CEO. So from the get-go, I wanted to bring a CEO uh, to allow me to continue to do this fun stuff, what I like to do, the science, the technology, to develop a great product. So uh, for me, the decision was from the beginning. I knew that I, I need to find a CEO. I was looking for a CEO for a few years before uh, I met Ronnie, and uh, it, it's not easy. Maybe we'll discuss it later, but it's uh, the relationship between a founder and CEO is like the relationship between you and your wife. Uh, I only discussed the kids before, so I'm talking about the wife. Uh, maybe uh, th there was time that we spent, me and Ronnie spent more time than uh, I spent with my wife. I assume that it's the same for him, with, at least when you are awake. Uh, so you spend a lot of time, you need to have chemistry, you need to understand each other, and uh, you need to compromise a lot. So uh, I think that it's... Uh, a very important decision to make. And uh, if you make a bad decision, it could be at the end of the company. And I've seen it with a few of my friends that they even select the right person in the company actually died. And Rani, I'm interested, did you ever consider wanting to be a founder or were you thinking, oh, so maybe I'm just going to look for a CEO position? And, and how did you go through the process ultimately of selecting Inside Tracker is the right place for you. So I fell in love with science thanks to my work with healthcare, right? And and the concept of having a job where you feel you can have an impact on people's lives, I find I've never tried crack cocaine, but it's crack cocaine. So to this day, on a weekly basis, I review feedback from customers telling us you saved my life, you saved my father's life, you saved my wife's life. I mean, it's really, really, there's, there's nothing like it, in my opinion. And so pretty clearly in my mind, I was looking for an opportunity where the company would be tiny and which is what it was when I joined Gil. It was Gil and 
two other people. It was really just a science experiment still. And so for me, it was really about, I need to find something that is applying strong, disciplined scientific principles to the problem of how to keep people living healthier longer. And how do you basically go and do preventative medicine and help people avoid disease? And so when I joined Gill, it was really, as I said, it was a science experiment still, strong scientific backbone, not, not a business yet. And so it was really about how do you take something that has good bones, good foundation, three or four years of work by an incredible science team, incredible scientific advisory board, people like David Sinclair involved, engaged, completely motivated to make it an incredibly impactful company and find ways to turn that potential and have it realized as a real business. That, that's really what I was looking for. And then just to touch on the dynamic of, you know, founder, CEO, I think in any company that is in the scientific space, it's what we're discussing here is extremely common. Very often the scientist, the doctor, the, the medical professional who starts something has an idea for a product or for an approach or for something, right? Isn't necessarily the CEO, the operator, two very different roles. And so while it might seem like a, a big transition in other fields, I think in anything that, that touches real science, it's extremely common. And in medical device, in pharma, in almost all these fields, you always have a scientific founder or a scientific team founding the IP, building the IP, and then you have a business that evolves after that. And so this is, again, for a science-first company, it's not, a, it's not an uncommon path. I think this could be a good point to maybe explain to our listeners exactly the details of like what Insight Tracker does and how it works in the service that you offer, because that will help us as we have more of a conversation about how the, the choices that you've made in the time working together and how the vision of the business has evolved, at least people will have context. So either one of you, do you, do you want to sort of like explain what Insight Tracker is? The goal and the reason why you should do Insight Tracker is because you want to take control of your health and live healthier longer. And the way to think about what we do is similar to you taking your car for maintenance so that it's going to last longer, give you b better performance now for longer. And the way we do it is by looking inside your body, as Gil was saying, we started with looking at blood biomarkers, so measures of really blood test results. And then we added DNA, and then we recently added physiological markers that we can obtain from fitness trackers. And the idea is to get a real baseline assessment of your body from the inside, and then give you very specific, precise recommendations around food, supplements, exercise, lifestyle changes you can make that are highly substantiated from a science perspective to give you a path forward for you to live healthier longer. So our customers tend to be people who are aware of the importance of taking care of your body, who want to know what should I do, what's really working for me, because I think at this point, Many consumers have realized that we're all different and what works for you, Dino, may or may not work for me. And so our premise is you got to look from the inside, make sure you can measure all the right elements of your body to be able to give you recommendations that are precise, personalized, and also impactful. And this is where the science really matters, because if you take 
all of the best available science in the world and you say, I'm going to take your blood data, your DNA data, your physiological marker data, your age, your gender, your ethnicity, how you eat, how you sleep, how you exercise. I'm going to take all this information about you and then I'm going to match it, map it to the best available science and give you a set of recommendations to follow. I'm going to have a pretty powerful way to get you there. And what's probably unique about Inside Tracker also is the fact that we have published peer-reviewed science, so peer-reviewed results of our users. We've looked at over a thousand healthy subjects on Inside Tracker longitudinally, so over time, and we've demonstrated really strong results, good, solid outcomes measured in blood for people improving their health measurably, quantifiably in a way that's hard to argue with because blood is a measure that is validated and calibrated. And so that's what Inside Tracker does, and we've been growing pretty dramatically the last three or four years. And that's what the company does. And in terms of decisions we've had to make along the way, I'm going to say most of the time, the theme is the same, which is you've got to make a decision between going fast or going scientific. And this, it's very hard to do science fast, and it's very hard to do science in a way that's easy. So we've had to make a lot of decisions. We've had a lot of crossroads where we had to make a left or make a right. And I think in most other companies that are in this field of, call it scientific wellness or longevity, or uh, it's very often a team of marketers, of business people who have seen an opportunity in the market and decide let's create a product or a service to address that need. And the result is that those companies tend to make decisions that are primarily business-driven before they're scientifically driven. This company, Inside Tracker, was really three or four years of Hot, hardcore pure science first, which is still in our DNA as a company. And it means that we really put science first when it comes to making decisions. And we keep having that recurring theme come over and over. And I think the partnership between Gil and I has allowed for the science to have a very loud, meaningful voice in, in the decisions we make, the, the small ones and the big ones. That's fantastic. And actually, it's sort of somewhat related to the first question that I want to ask. So Gil and Ronnie, when you went through the process of, you know, Gil, you finding the right CEO and Ronnie, you finding the right opportunity, what were some of the things that were important? And then once you made the decision to join together, what were some of like the early step that maybe were helpful in setting up the partnership for success? So I'll, I'll give you a few things on my end that were markers of success. So before meeting Gil, I had been working for 13 years with many, many, many doctors in the field of cardiology, vascular surgery, interventional radiology, urology, neurosurgery. So I was very used to being around extremely accomplished scientists or people who were at the top of their field and also very acquainted to people who are, you know, aspiring to being at the top. And one very common trait, I would say, is that the people at the top never had an ego, were very easy to talk to. I never found myself wondering, what am I doing in this conversation? Or I feel uncomfortable or, and so it's interesting to watch and a little surprising that the people who are really hungry, really ambitious um, and tend to have an ego, usually are not at the top. And so when I met Gil, one of the first things that I was looking for is 
that ability to put the business first, to put the mission first and not to be egocentric. And that was one of the first signs or traits that mattered to me when I met with Gil and talked about the business and the vision and the science is that there was very little about Gil in the discussion, a lot more about the vision, what we can do for humanity and how it's going to work. And that was quickly attractive to me and unusual because many other science-based companies tend to have a common to have an egotistical founder. And uh, so that was one of the first things I really liked. The other thing I was impressed by is that Gil had surrounded himself with some of the best scientific minds in the field, even though it was still a science experiment that was tiny in terms of people or footprint and by any other measure, it was really, really tiny. He had access to and had tapped into some of the best minds working on longevity, working on nutrition, working on exercise physiology. So a really, really impressive who's who cross-functionally in the scientific fields that matter to the company that were already there. So the foundation, the raw materials from a science perspective were, were fantastic. Everything else made no sense, but that was extremely strong. Gil, what's your perspective? Yeah, so, so I was uh, looking for someone that uh, appreciates science. So it was very important for me that we will continue to be true to the science. I think that you can see a lot of companies, especially in the West Coast, that they uh, claiming that they have science, but basically it's uh, all marketing. And I, I didn't want to become a company like that. I've seen those. So I was uh, happy to see that Tony appreciates science, likes science, uh, uh, we had a lot of discussion that I'm sending him a paper and he's reading the papers. He's, he likes to learn about science. Uh, he's very fast learning. And uh, uh, so, so that was uh, very important. And the second one, I think that it's, it's, it's super important to have uh, a chemistry. And uh, I think that you can work together. As I said, you spend so much uh, time with, uh, with the CEO as a founder that you, you need to enjoy it. And I like to enjoy my work. I, every Sunday night when I meet with my friends, I'm saying, oh, it's a Sunday night. Tomorrow is Monday. I'm so excited. And a lot of my friends say, oh, today is Sunday night. I'm so, <laughs> I want that the weekend will con continue. So no, no, I want to go back to work. So I, I think that it's a, a important, not only with the CEO, but with the team. You need to work with people that you enjoy and you have fun with and uh, you are looking forward to meeting with them. So I think that uh, the fact that he, he likes science, the, the fact that uh, I've seen some uh, chemistry with him and uh, a lot of uh, background in business and working in the past as a, a consultant at Deloitte and uh, having an MBA. So I think that it was a good uh, addition to my expertise and uh, allow us to, to grow. And uh, I'm very happy that it worked. Like almost 10 years after, I, I can see that... Uh, uh, we are still working together and still enjoying each other. So that's uh, definitely we are lucky. I don't think that there is a formula, uh, but uh, we are lucky. Yeah, it's amazing you said this, uh, make this comment about Sunday night. A very close friend of mine just this past weekend, he's an executive in a very, very large company, and he left his job. And when I asked him why, he told me, you know, a month and a half ago, you and I had a discussion. I told you how tough my job was and how difficult it was. And you told me that you enjoyed going back to work on Monday morning. And he said, I want that. I don't even know what it feels like to want to go back to work. And he made that comment just, just this past weekend on Sunday morning. <laughs> that is absolutely true. If you don't like what you're doing, there's no salary or title that 
will make it worth. I want to talk about the first year of the partnership because I think that's when a lot of foundations are laid. You both have actually, and in a good way, strong personalities, which I think are necessary to survive and build in the startup world. And I think that a healthy amount of discussion and and at times even conflict is important because that's how the best ideas emerge. So would you be comfortable sharing like maybe one of the first sort of tough conflicts that you had to resolve and, and how that worked and how that impacted then the way that you work together afterwards? I can, there's one that comes to mind for me. I can tell you it's, so first of all, it's not always easy for sure. It's interesting that Gail used the, uh, the husband and wife thing. So I, I never argue with my wife, but generally I know that a lot of people do. So I, I'm going to say it's probably similar, meaning it's in a business setting. I think conflict is kind of necessary because business is about problems and problem solving. And so if you don't have conflict, you haven't really identified what problem you're trying to solve. And if you don't have conflict, it also means that you don't have diverse enough viewpoints on how to approach it. And therefore, you probably don't have the optimal solution or way to resolve the problem. And I would say that in the first year, we had to learn one another and how to build trust. I think the chemistry Gil was mentioning was pretty obvious from the beginning, I think, meaning we enjoyed talking to each other. We had interesting conversations. We both love science. So there were a lot of things that were that made it easy. But then when you start working together, there's definitely a way to learn each other's styles. And I have a lot of stories, but one that I remember that I think was interesting and very telling is that I had a meeting with one of our investors and board members and Gil didn't know I was going to have that meeting. And it was the first time we had that question of, okay, how are we going to play this and, and how risky and how trust builders, so to speak, are we going to be? Can you really trust me? How far can you trust me? And that one situation really forced us to have the conversation and to say, how do we operate? What are the rules of engagement? What makes me comfortable? What makes me uncomfortable? And I think that was an important building block. We've had many more since then, but the ability to be open and honest and direct, I think really matters. From a, from a style perspective, I tend to be result-oriented, direct, decisive. I think on both sides, Gil and I both are, I'm going to say good deciders, meaning we like to make decisions, both of us, which means that we don't have a fear of making decisions or after we make the decisions, you know, some people, after they buy a car, they keep looking for, oh, could I have had a better deal somewhere else? Or they just questioning decisions all the time. We're both not that way, which I think is a good thing. And we have other people in the team who are that way and who are, who are balancing us well in my opinion but i think in that first year we were both you know sniffing each other out at at every opportunity around things that were really touching the business the who's got influence over what how do we divide and conquer and i think gil did an amazing job from the beginning really from the very beginning being clear on 
I care, as I said before, without the ego side, I care about making the business successful. What makes sense for the business to be successful is to have a CEO who's the CEO. And so he never created a situation where we had to have a conflict over the chain of command, so to speak. And I, I think that's that goes back to what I said earlier, where it's always been about the business, the mission, how do we make the business successful as opposed to, uh, to Gil. And that's, I think, rare and precious. Yeah, to add to that, uh, I feel that the first year for a founder, again, I've done it only once, but uh, it's very tough because uh, until a day before, you control everything, all the decisions were yours, and you can do whatever uh, whatever you want. And suddenly, uh, you brought something that, uh, in a way, you are reporting to, and uh, you cannot make all the decisions, and uh, you started to have the fear that uh, maybe you will make the wrong decision, or... Uh, and maybe we'll make a decision that you won't like. So I think that it's a tough time for the founder. I think that it's a great time for the founder to have a, a coach or someone that he can talk with. And uh, I think that in my uh, situation, our situation, currently is the chairman, uh, is the active uh, executive chairman of the board. Uh, at that time, he, he was my coach that uh, helped me to run a scenario and, uh, and uh, support and uh, allow me to to let someone else from a different angle to look at that. Today, I have a, a coach, a business coach that I'm sitting with, and Ron is sitting with him as well. So a lot of time when I, I don't want to have a conflict with Ron, I just come to the coach and say, hey, Ron is doing that and that and that. What do you say? And they say, okay, I'll go and talk with Ron. And I'm sa- saving any conflict with Ron. He's, the, he's taking the dirty laundry. But seriously, it, it is important because as Ron said, you always have a conflict and uh, you need to always to decide, is it a, a subject that I, I'm going to uh, sit on my sword or is something that I actually can live, live with that? And it's, uh, and it's hard and you have a lot of situations like that. Maybe every, every week you have something like that. So it's, it's, it's good to have another person that uh, supports you and uh, looking at it uh, in a different angle and telling you, hey, forget about it. That's not important. Two questions that came out of a few things that you have said. The first question is early on, uh, Ronnie, you mentioned that uh, Insight Tracker is a science first company. And I think it's really important for companies to actually understand their identity. Was the idea of being in a science driven company that was already what you were thinking about? Or did you have a conversation as you were sort of starting to set up the, the strategy? to agree that you were going to be a science-driven company first and foremost? No, I was I was looking for, I would have not gone to anything that's not science. So I fell in love with science because of my previous experience and exposure to, again, some of the best doctors in the world really being in the business of saving people's lives. And I got to learn respect for science, respect for out- clinical outcomes, respect for data publishing etc so i was already for 13 years in that world where it's everything and it's your compass and your guiding principles and everything stems from that i I think saying science first sounds good and a lot of companies says that say that they're scientific but really it's like any other value system you have you can only know that it is your value system if you have to lose or sacrifice something that's really dear to you or important to you in order to uphold that value. So we've had to do this in the company many times, spend a lot more money than we want than we wanted to, abandon certain things, 
do not go in directions where we could make a lot of revenue because the science wasn't strong enough. And we've had these questions and decisions many, many, many times. And every time it's hard to make those decisions in theory, in practice, when you're very clear on what your value systems are, it's very easy. So for example, I'm Jewish. I eat strictly kosher. I've been so many times in situations where I have something in front of me that I cannot eat. There's no question in my mind. It never occurs to me. I never have to struggle with, oh, am I going to eat this thing or not? It's not kosher. I'm not eating it. So when you have strong values, it becomes obvious. And we've had this enough times. I mean, the problem usually after we make these decisions is not for the decision to happen. It's to explain to the rest of the team, to the board, to investors, to whoever it is that we have to explain it to why we went in this direction of, you know, losing an opportunity in order to uphold that value. So, so when people say, or companies say, I'm science first or I'm scientific, it's really the question should be, what have you lost? What have you sacrificed to uphold that value? That's great. Is there any single practical example that you're comfortable sharing or want to keep it confidential? Yeah, we, we have a few, but I'll give you one that I think is is less clear-cut and one that's super clear-cut. So one on the less clear-cut is when we enter the DNA space, there was a real question of build versus buy versus partner in terms of adding DNA on top of the blood biomarkers we're looking at. And we looked at what was available in the market, who was providing what type of service to consumers around DNA analysis for the type of work we wanted to do. And Gil and his team went out to look for who would be a good partner for us. And to my great surprise, he came back with nothing is adequate. Nothing meets my standard in terms of quality, comprehensiveness, and ability for us to get all the data so that we can build something that will last. And as science evolves, the data repositories are still there. We can apply new science to data that we've already collected. And so to my great surprise, what we ended up doing is building our own custom um, solution, which uh, when we started, I never thought we would do that. So we did this because science said that is the right way to do it. And it was somewhere around eight to nine times more expensive and more time consuming to do it that way than to say, eh, we'll compromise and do something of inferior quality. The reason why I think that one's not a super clear cut is because we could have still gone the other direction. It would still potentially be scientific, but it's an example of science costing you a lot more money and time. Uh, another example that's completely clear cut is that we had a, a big project working on a women's health, women's hormone panel that we thought was at the time going to be a really important thing for us to do. We spent many months, put a lot of people on that project and basically made sure that we had the right scientific advisory board members to vet the science and the approach we were taking. And after all the work that we did in the many months and a lot of expense to come to a launchable product, we had an important meeting with a key scientific advisor specializing in that area who said to us, listen, I think applying lifestyle changes to some of those biomarkers is not of the highest scientific standard. And I don't think we should go in that direction. 
And we had to make a really big decision to basically say, all right, so we either do it anyway, because we can probably make a lot of money doing it, or we shut down the entire thing. And we decided to shut down the entire thing. And it took us, I don't know, an hour to make that decision. It took us a lot longer after to explain to everyone why we did it. But it was a, a really, really expensive and difficult problem to solve in the right way. We haven't abandoned solving the problem, right? We still believe there's an opportunity to do it. But at the time, that was really a clear example of to uphold our highest scientific values, we shouldn't launch it in this way. That is fascinating. And really, I think a great example for people who are listening in terms of like what it means to leave your values. One more question. You said that you, as you started out, you were feeling each other out. Did you have a a moment early on where you started clearly articulating how you were planning to work together, what your styles were, and what was that experience like? I, I don't think so. We haven't had a, a plan that said, this is my style and this is uh, your style, at least from my hand. Uh, so we just uh, had like, a, maybe I will go back a bit. And uh, when Ronnie came to interview with, uh, uh, with us, I, I basically invited him for an interview for a, a, an hour. And then uh, uh, when the hour uh, finished, he said, okay, I'm staying for another hour. So I said, okay, stay for another hour. And then uh, after an, another hour, I said, okay, we'll come again tomorrow. And uh, so I, I actually really liked that he, 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 very, he have a, sp- a strong personality and he pushed me and said, okay, come for another, uh, another hour the day after. So we had, uh, I would say, a very long uh, dating time. We maybe met uh, every day for uh, a month. And then after that, we decided that we'll uh, uh, work together. So I think that uh, after that, we already knew each other pretty well. And at least, again, from my side, I haven't had a lot of uh, unknown. So that's how I, I went into that. But I'm curious to hear uh, Ronnie's side. Yeah, I agree with you. I even went to one of the, we took a lot of steps. One of the steps I took was to invite Gil and his family to come over for dinner before we started working together. Because for me, it's, I think you learn a lot about someone by meeting their environment and getting getting to know their environment. So we made, we took steps like that. I also had <laughs> some really cool stories that David Sinclair, uh, who's an extremely well-known uh, longevity scientist out of Harvard Medical School, came to my house, showed up at my house on a Sunday morning. I don't think I'll forget that little episode of David basically showing up at my house on a Sunday morning. My wife was just coming back from a run. I had my three little kids there. And I'm like, okay, let's go take a walk, I guess. Or let's have a coffee. He's like, no, no, let's go take a walk. We took a walk and we talked for a long time. And he he said something to me that was really exciting and interesting. And, uh, and it was the fact that he believed, of course, in the power of the Inside Tracker approach. And then he added, you know, one thing that's probably surprising for you to hear is that I had the same exact idea as Gil. I wanted to do it exactly the same way, a little different. And basically when Gil told me what he was doing, I felt that what he was starting and the way he was starting it was better than what I had in mind. And so I decided to join him. So again, that same theme of science first, doing it for the mission, for the vision. And so I'm not sure it's exactly related to your question, but that's my way of answering it, which is 
when you look at someone, there's the person and then there's what surrounds them, what's around them and what kind of environment and world have, has been built either directly or indirectly because of the kind of person they are. And so I think these are all good, strong vetting steps or obstacles to clear that I think we both had early on. And, and I, for me, it was one of the, one of my mentors used to tell me, when you interview people, make sure you interview them at least two or three times. And by the way, the rule of thumb should be, you enjoy it a little bit more every time. Like if you see that you love them at the first meeting, and second one is like, okay, you know, a little less, and then third one, same, there's something wrong. It should, it should increase in fun, pleasure, chemistry with every discussion. And so I think we, as Gil said, we spent a lot of time together at the beginning before making that really big decision. Uh, and it was, it was important. So we, I, I agree with you. We probably, when we pulled the trigger, so to speak, I think we both felt very comfortable. We've had a really long and powerful conversation around all of this. If I could ask you to say, maybe just summarizing one or two things, abstracting for all of this, that Ron is somebody who is in the process of considering joining a company, becoming the CEO, replacing the founder, or partner with the founder as a CEO. And then Gil, from your end, as a founder who's looking for the CEO, is like two or three things that are really important to consider, like in, in summary. So I would say that self-awareness is number one. So matching who you are, what you care about, to what the company and the founder, the initial founder represents, and making sure there's a match is probably the number one thing to consider. I think... In general, people tend not to spend enough time asking themselves, what do I care about? What's my value system? What's important to me? What's not important to me? And really doing the work of understanding yourself and then matching that to the opportunity you want to pursue. Um, I would say that's number one. And number two, if you ask for a couple, so number one is know yourself and make sure that there's a match with what you're pursuing. And number two is that ego question. I, I think it's unbelievably important to make sure that you become part of something bigger than yourself and bigger than the other person that's there so that it's not an egotistical relationship. It's really, it's really about two people or a bunch of people getting together for the business, for the mission. And I think that is, by the way, a very easy assessment to perform, in my opinion. If you if you ask yourself that question, it's relatively easy to get there. What about you, Gil? Yeah, so as Ronnie said, first you need to know what what are the gaps, what are you looking for, what are the traits of that person that you are looking for. So that's the first one. And know it well. If you really want to be a CEO and you are taking a CEO because you don't have a, a chance, that will be dangerous because then uh, uh, you won't be satisfied. And we're going back to the Sunday uh, evening uh, question. You won't be happy to come to work. And uh, both me and Ronnie, by the way, we're working almost 24-7. I can find it because I like it. It's not because I, I need to do it, because I, I enjoy it. Even when I'm going hiking, I'm coming at the evening and uh, uh, reading a book about aging or uh, reading an article or replying or doing something. So so first know what you are looking and then what are the gaps that you're trying to fill. The second one is don't compromise. I was looking for a CEO for let's say four years and uh, I, I didn't compromise. I interviewed uh, 
I don't know, maybe 200 candidates, but wait for the time. It's like finding, again, it's like finding your uh, spouse. You need to, to find the right person and it might be one in a million. So it's not easy to find. So don't compromise. And the last one is uh, try to date. I'm still in the analogy of the wife. Try to date as long as possible. And because when you date, at the end of the day, the real person will come under the mask if there is a mask. And uh, so try to, to date as, lo- as long as possible and uh, try to find the, uh, the issue even before you are making the decision. And I want to say that we, we took it uh, into our hiring process and several of our executives are actually an executive that started uh, working with us as a consultant and uh, or people that we know for a long term. And then we actually hire them. And then the risk is much lower because you already know them, then they know you and uh, it's much easier to, to continue. So I think that it's not only by uh, uh, finding the CEO as a founder, but also finding an executive or finding a, uh, a good employees, you need to, if you can, and it's possible, try to date them and uh, work with them for a while and uh, know what you like about them and what they like about you and then see if it's good for you, but also good for the other side. If I can add one little thing, which is interesting, we're both immigrants. We both came to the U.S. as adults, right? And Gil was an adult and I was an adult as well. And I, I think one of the character traits of immigrants is that they tend to be a little more open and adaptable as well. And I think that certainly helps. I think it's it's a characteristic that allows for compatibility when you're able to adapt and um, you are already showing your ability to deal with change or even seek and pursue change yourself. That's fabulous. For people who want to learn about Inside Tracker, where can they go? InsideTracker.com is a good place to start. You can find us on Instagram at Inside Tracker. So it's Inside Tracker, right? In one word. Uh, and uh, it's probably the best place to find us. And there's hundreds of thousands of people who uh, pay attention to what we do. And hopefully some of your listeners will want to join that movement. Yeah, I am a customer myself. I want to move it quickly to the personal questions. I have a question that I ask all my guests, which is my favorite. And it is, if you're in business long enough, there are expressions and jargons and and cliche that at some point are so overused that they lose meaning. What is one that drives you crazy? I'll start. I'll tell you. The concept of lean startup is one that I find particularly annoying. And the reason why is because I think it works for maybe 10% of the population. I think a lot of people are not wired to function in that mode at all. And so for the 10% of the people out there who are quant, linear thinkers, love rapid experimentation and are compatible with that model, it works fabulously and they don't understand why the rest of the world isn't doing it. So it works very well in a small organization or if you screen for that type of profile. But the, uh, you know, fail fast model, which is the kind of lean startup corollary, I think is one that is probably overused and a lot of people fall in love with without ever really having tried it. What about you, Gil? Do you have a thought? Yeah, I have a, one a term called there are millions way to skin the cat. But I'm, I'm just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> uh, to, to <laughs> It's an expression that one is done. But uh, uh, it's one of my expressions. 
<laughs> I, I actually, I like it. I, I don't have any expression that I don't like. It's like um, no expression make me mad, let's say. So I, I don't have. Great. And finally, I always ask my guests to share something that they use to nourish either their body or their soul. So you can choose if you go the body route, if there's a, a dish or a drink that you enjoy particularly, or if you want to go the soul, right? You know, if there's a book, a piece of music, a movie, a piece of art, or something that is meaningful to you. I'll go with food. I recently learned to make tadig, which is, you know, the Persian burned rice. I've always loved it. And I finally learned how to do it. And so I'm going to pick that one. And we're a nutrition company. So of course, food should be part of the uh, answer. Yeah, so for me, it's also food and it might contaminate my uh, brand, but I really like chocolate. So I'm uh, addicted to chocolate. And so I'm trying at least to eat a high percentage of uh, chocolate. So that's my uh, favorite. And actually, it's uh, helped me a lot when I, I have an important meeting or I need to dive into something. I'm taking a, a small piece of chocolate and then my brain uh, is active and doing uh, good stuff. So. That's for me. I tried the the Trader Joe's ninety two or ninety four percent. Oh, it's chocolate. too much. Uh, it's too much. Last night I tried it. Last night I bit into it and I had to throw it away. I was like, ah, there's no yeah. way I can eat this. It's yeah, really yeah, I'm I'm, I'm around the seventy two percent. The seventy two percent is uh, higher enough percent, but still uh, have the texture and the and, and the taste. Yeah. <laughs> Ronnie and Gil, it's been great to talk to you it's been a while since we've all been in the same room but i also want to say thank you because it's not easy to come on a conversation like this together and to be willing to to be so candid and transparent so i i think our listeners will get a ton of value for this thank you very much for being on the show with me thank you thank you dino thanks for having us thank you for listening to this episode if you enjoyed it find a friend who may enjoy it and tell them that they should listen to it and if you really like the show tell all your friends and post about it on social media every little bit helps make sure you're subscribed to the show on your favorite listening platform so you don't miss any episode and if you listen on a platform that allows reviews like apple Podcasts or good pods please leave us a stellar rating and review Stick around, because after the credits, I'm going to play a song by Susan Cattaneo, one of Boston's best Americana singer-songwriters. To find more links for Gil, Ronnie, or Inside Tracker, go to the episode page of the podcast website, al4ep.com, spelled with the number 4. You can email me at dino at al4ep.com, and make sure that you follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We use the handle at al4edp with the letter D. On Facebook, find us at Authentic Leadership for Everyday People. This episode was produced by me, Dino Cattaneo, with additional edits by Pro Podcast Solutions. It was recorded remotely using Squadcast.fm. The theme music was composed, produced, arranged, and recorded by Nicolas Cattaneo, who also played keyboards and drums, with Tony Savarino on guitar and Jesse Williams on bass. And now, When Love Goes Right, by Susan Cattaneo with special guest Bill Kirchen. are sparkling in the August heat That's the main attraction out here in the yard On the very last of our lawn chair days We're leaning back to take in all
What's left when love 